Word. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry that I don't have a pew Bible. If someone does, you could maybe shout me out then what the number is. 1,174. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 and through to verse 10. We're going to look at verses 8 to 10, which are there up on the screen. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In these words, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Went to see um, a strange film yesterday, Salmon Fishing in Yemen. Now, I'd read dreadful reviews of it, and so I was a wee bit reluctant, but I was really glad I went to see it. Um, I, I said to our elder John Cooper, it's the perfect film for him, because it's romantic comedy, he can take his wife, and it's about salmon fishing. Um, and faith, actually. It's about fishing and faith. And uh, I thought it was, I actually thought it was absolutely superb. I really, really enjoyed it. But there was one line that myself and Adam both turned and looked at one another. People laughed at. kind of, you know, it was in the DCA, so it's kind of, how shall we say, more middle-aged people who were there. It's great if you want to go and you've not got teenagers screaming and yelling all over the place. Go to the DCA. So we're down in the DCA, and we're uh, watching this, and Ewan McGregor comes up with a line where he says, observing a Muslim guy in Yemen, he says, I don't know anyone who goes to church. And um, his friend says, neither do I. Yes, they all go to Tesco's. And there's a world of observation that you can make in, in that particular scriptwriter's thing. It's just, we don't know people. We're not the sort of people who go to church. It's, that's what it's become like in Great Britain. And I, I think it's really sad because, first of all, people don't understand what the church is. You don't go to church. We are the church. It's a, a big thing. But also, if people knew just exactly the incredible, great things that we have, and I'm not talking about nice building or music or all the other different things. I'm not talking about that. Just the incredibly good news that we have then I, I think that uh, they would be astounded and astonished. We tend to suppose, those of us who are Christians, tend to presuppose that we understand what the gospel is and that others might. This is good news. Why is the Bible good news? What, what are we talking about when we say we're trying to communicate good news? In the 18th century in Scotland, there was a controversy in the church called the Marrow Controversy. And it was nothing to do with how big ministers grew their vegetables. It was to do with a book called The Marrow of Modern Divinity. 
And in it, the author argued that we could go to every single person and say, there is good news for you. Christ is dead for you. And people argued about whether <clears throat> that could be honestly said. Well, I think we have good news for people, and we need to communicate it. And we, I think we will only communicate it if we grasp it for ourselves. So these verses that you've read, some of you being Christians for quite a while, you say, I know this, I know this, I know what's going to happen, I know what he's going to say. But please don't be so flippant about what God has done. This is astonishing stuff that you are going to be, all eternity won't be long enough to praise God for this. I think we have wonderful news. Now, these verses that are up on the screen, verses 8 to 10, well, verses 8 and 9 are often misquoted. And they're misquoted because they leave out verse 10. And we'll see the importance of that as we go on. I'm going to look at two things fairly briefly. First of all, what has God done? And uh, by the way, we're going to follow this up this evening. So if you can, it's kind of like a two-part sermon. And if you want part two, you have to come this evening. I should do what they do in all the good soap operas, leave you hanging over the edge of a cliff wondering what's going to happen. Um, And then you will come this evening. But I would encourage you to. First of all, what has God done? Well, verse 5 says this, He has saved us. Verse 8 says this, It is by grace you have been saved. Now, that's an old-fashioned word, salvation. Most people know it only in terms of the Salvation Army. What does it mean? When we're saved, what are we saved from? Why do we need to be saved? The reason that the vast majority of people in this city won't go anywhere near a place of worship this morning is simply because they don't think they need it. They don't think they need saved. You don't go to the doctors unless you're sick or a hypochondriac. And if you're a spiritual hypochondriac, that's another interesting condition. But um, you normally do not go to the GP unless you're ill. You certainly don't go to the hospital or A&E unless you're ill. People say, well, I don't need God. what's this salvation that I need? The sad thing is that there are people walking around this city at this moment in time who are ill and who won't go to the GP or maybe even don't know that they're ill. And there are people who are walking around this city and do not realize how lost they are without Jesus Christ. And you may even be here and there's 101 things going through your head and 101 concerns. And the least concern that you have is that you may be spiritually sick or even spiritually dead. We can understand perhaps why others need salvation, the prisoner, the drug addict, the murderer, but me. I told some of you this story before, but it had a big impression on me when I was doing a mission as a young Christian student in Oban, and uh, we visited one lady who said to us, oh, it's wonderful, son, what you're doing, and it's, you know, you always kind of visit as a student, you hate being called son even more when you're in your 40s. Wonderful, son, what you're doing. Wonderful, it's great. And you're, you're going to these junkies and you're going to these scum, basically. That's what she was saying. And I said to her, well, actually, we've come for you as well. And she was raging. Do you think I need? What do you, what do you think's wrong with me? I said, I can't even begin to say. <laughs> but, you know, it was, you know, self-righteousness, religious pomposity, everything. It's all there. But she, she, she saw no need whatsoever for any kind of Savior. So you're not going to look for one if you don't think you need to be saved. Why do we need to be saved? Well, in verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians 2, Paul tells us, 
It's very straightforward, and I'll just list them. He says, first of all, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Not half alive, not just sick, but you were dead. You're spiritually dead. And that is a, a major, a major, major problem. Secondly, he says, you're following the devil. You followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I don't even believe in a devil. Well, that's, that's how successful he is in getting you to follow him. You're following the devil. Thirdly, you're being held captive by your own desires. All of us also lived among them at one time. He's not saying we now don't live amongst non-Christians. He's saying we do. You continue to live. But he's saying we lived like them. We went along with them. When, um, how do we do that? Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. In Buddhism, Buddhists recognize that our desires cause a lot of problems. So in Buddhism, the ultimate nirvana is to escape from your own desires, to escape indeed from any desire. Christianity doesn't do that. Christianity recognizes that's impossible. But what Christianity says is that we can have our desires changed. We can have right and liberating desires. Right now, there are people who have desires, and you will understand this, or some of you will understand this, that they want to break free, in the words of Queen. They want to break free, but they can't. They have to go to the bottle. They have to go to the needle. There are people who are addicted in other ways. They can't break free of a series of disruptive relationships. We're trapped, trapped by our own desires. I'd like to be slim, but I just can't resist X, Y, and Z. And we need to be saved as well because verse 3 tells us we're under the wrath of God. We are by object, we are by nature objects of wrath. Sin, death, the anger of God, deserving punishment, we need to be saved. What an absolute tragedy it is that there are far too many people in so-called churches today who are far too busy telling people, you're fine, you're fine, everything's okay, everything's great, everything's wonderful. Actually, it's not. Actually, things are even worse than your darkest fear and your deepest nightmare. We need to be saved. Salvation also is more than forgiveness. It includes forgiveness. It is deliverance from the death, slavery, and wrath described in verses 1 to 3. It is resurrection from the dead. It's a liberation from slavery and a rescue from condemnation. Bob Dylan had an album called Saved, and he had a song called Saved. And it's a great song. Now, I know that Bob Dylan's gone up and down, but I don't believe that anyone could have written these words without knowing what salvation is and without having experienced it. And so I have great hope for Mr. Zimmerman, as his real name is. These are the lines of the, the first lines. He says, I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone-cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By His grace I have been touched, by His word I have been healed, by His hand I've been delivered, by His spirit I've been sealed, I've been saved, saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's what we celebrate as believers in Jesus Christ, and that's what we offer to others. How did this happen? He tells us it's by grace. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace is something we do not deserve. That's why the whole works religion thing, that's why the whole 
go to church, do good, give to Oxfam, be nice to your neighbor, help an old lady across the road, and then you'll be saved. It's such nonsense. It's not that any of these things are in and of themselves wrong. In fact, they're good things. But they don't save us. Our problem is far, far deeper than that, and it's only grace that can save us. And it's by faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is mentioned seven times in this letter, and I just put it simply this, this way. It is the humble trust with which we receive the good news about Jesus Christ. It is the means by which we are, we are accepted. It is knowing, believing, and trusting. It is the way we have a continuing healthy relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12, we say this, Paul says this, in Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In chapter 3 and verse 17, he says, and I, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not saying, if I just believe, if I just believe, it's just going to happen, it's just going to happen. That's not faith. Faith is recognizing what Jesus has done and placing all our trust and our whole lives upon Him. There are two negatives in here that He gives us. It is not because, it is not our doing, first of all. We are not self-made men and women, boys and girls of Jesus Christ. We are created in Christ Jesus. You do not create yourself. If you go with any of the, the, the wee babies and uh, look at them, you know for well, you look at that baby. I mean, all of you know logically, you know emotionally, you know experientially, you know that a baby didn't say, oh, I think I'll be born. I think I'll create myself. That's not how it happens. And it's the same with becoming a Christian. It really is a new birth. And it's not because of works. It's not a reward for the good things we have done. Paul says in Romans 11 verse 6, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. There are some of you here who are Christians, and you're absolutely hammering yourselves and beating yourselves up because you think, I haven't done this, and if only I do this, and if only I give that, and if only I… then maybe, just maybe, I will get peace with God. But peace with God comes through Jesus Christ, not through what we are able to do. It means there can be no pride. It means that there's union with Christ. We share in His resurrection and His ascension. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but if you go through Paul's letters, you'll find over and over again this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. And sadly, there are many of us who profess to be Christians. What we do is we compartmentalize our lives, and there's a religious bit for which we use religious language, and then there's normal life. And I want to encourage you to stop using religious language and stop compartmentalizing. In Christ is one of the most difficult and one of the most wonderful two words that you will ever hear or utter. But I tell you, this is the way I would explain it. He says we're already sitting on thrones. We've been taken from the pit and exalted. There is no stairway to heaven. There's a rocket, or there's a very fast uh, escalator or elevator or whatever it is. We don't plod our way up a stair. We shoot up the lift. And that's a now and a living experience. When he uses the word saved here, for those of you who are into grammar, 
It's what's called a perfect participle in Greek. And what it does is it, it says it's something that happened in the past, but the effects of it continue to be felt now. It's definite, it's certain, it happened, but it really means you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. And the only way I can think of to explain this is all this fuss about the Titanic. If you've seen um, the dramas or the film or the reissued film or heard any of the documentaries, this obsession that we seem to have with the Titanic. Well, imagine that you're there and the, the, the ship is going down and you're in one of the lifeboats. You have been saved. There's no question. You're not drowning in the freezing water. You're not lying in one of the cabins holding hands with your wife waiting to die. You're in the lifeboat. You're, you're saved. But you're also waiting for a ship to come. You're not on dry land. You're, 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 you want to get onto dry land. That's what it's like for those of us who are believers. We've been saved. We're not drowning. We're not lost in this world. We have been saved. But we're not there yet. We are in the lifeboat that is Jesus Christ. He's not going to let us go. We can't be lost. But we're not there yet. We're not experiencing and enjoying everything that Christ has bought for us. We have not yet experienced the full benefits of salvation, but we are saved. Now, I want us to sing at this point, um, before we look at the last thing, we're going to sing the song, Rock of Ages, if the guys can come up. And I want you to notice especially... The words, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Rock of ages cleft for me. And it's just, that's just speaking. This, this old hymn is speaking about Jesus being the only one. He's the rock, but he was split apart for us. And that's where our salvation comes from. What did God do? He sent his only begotten son to die for us. Let's stand and sing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. In verse 7 of chapter 2, Paul has said that this all happened, that Jesus did this in order that God might show the incomparable riches of His grace. What did God do? He gave us His Son. What did God do? He saved us. Why? Why did He do it? Well, Paul uses a word here, technon. It's a Greek word meaning what a person makes or does. We get the term technology from it. We read that Jesus became a technon. Now, everyone always says he's a carpenter. Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. He's basically a handyman. Um, he, he basically was somebody who worked with his hands, who did practical things. I've always found it quite strange that uh, there are people who think, well, Christianity is for the really brainy academic people. It's not for ordinary working people who do stuff with their hands. Look, in Christian terms, I'm a thickle because I can't do anything with my hands. Really, I'm, I'm totally useless with, with almost anything. Those of you who are technon, you're the really cool ones. Uh, that's what Jesus was. In that sense, you're like Christ. Well, Paul plays on that word technon here, and he uses it to describe what God has done for us. He's really saying God is an artist. We are God's workmanship. We are God's technology. We are His work of art. We are His masterpiece. Salvation cannot be our work, not only because it is God's work, but because we are God's work. We are His new creation. 
Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Sometimes you'll hear someone, um, I get sent for some bizarre reason, adverts for Weight Watchers, and you get someone saying, I feel like a new woman. Why? Because you lost a couple of stone. You know, and then, of course, you're meant to say, well, you look like a new woman and you're wonderful. And, uh, and I, I, I'm not really mocking that. Well, I am, but I shouldn't. Um, but, you know, you, you know what it means when you say you've got a new life. Maybe you've got a new job or um, you, maybe you've been seriously ill and you've recovered and you feel renewed. For all of us who've become Christians, this is where the good news is. It is all of that. It is new image, it is new body, it is new life, it is, it is absolutely everything and a whole lot more. We now do works, not to earn salvation, but as the fruit of it. And look what it says in verse 10. These works were created, we were created rather in Christ Jesus to good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have not been saved to be religious, and you have not been saved to make yourself feel good. And those of you who are Christians who are desperately unhappy because you don't feel good, it's because you haven't grasped what you've been saved for. Jesus didn't come to be your own personal Savior so that you could be happy, wealthy, healthy, have a perfect family life, and feel wonderful all the time. That's not why Jesus came. And if you've been sold that, you've been sold a lie. And if you trust in Jesus because of that, you're trusting in a false God. Jesus is, of course, concerned about how we feel. He loves us. He's concerned about what happens to us. He loves us. But the reasons He saved us is that we would do the good works which He's prepared beforehand for us to do. It is not an optional extra. The person who comes along to church and reads the Bible and prays and uses all the religious jargon, whether it's jargon from a free church tradition or jargon from a charismatic tradition or jargon from a Catholic tradition or jargon from the I-don't-have-any-jargon tradition, Whatever it is, that's not why we were saved. We were saved because Jesus has something for us to do. We do the will of God from the heart. We have a happy obligation. It's why the miserable servant, you've got to really question if they're really a Christian at all. In Titus 3, verse 5, Paul says this, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of pleasures and, pa and passions. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Yes, I know that there are people who are brought up in the Catholic tradition who think, if only I can be good enough, I'm going to be saved. So they do lots of religious things and lots of good works. I know there are quote-unquote liberal Christians who don't really, aren't really sure whether God exists or not, but just in case He does, they're going to work their socks off and help the poor so that they'll be okay and they can feel good about themselves as well as doing something good. But what saddens me even more 
is Christians who've grown up in the evangelical tradition and who say, I believe in Jesus and I'm washed in the blood and I'm saved and I read the Word and I have my quiet time. And you've got it all. You could convince any gathering of elders that you are really there. You've got all the jargon. And yet good works for you are an optional extra that just get added on if you've got time. Because Jesus has saved you and you're too busy leading and enjoying your life. You don't have time for anybody else. Not really. Not unless they directly affect you. (laughs) Jesus saved you to help. He saved you to help the poor. He saved you to spread His Word. He saved you to live for others. He told you to take up your cross. He didn't tell you. Go out and have a really good time for yourself because it doesn't matter. It does matter. That's why He saved you. Now, I think that should be our motivation not being manipulated by guilt, not thinking, if only I do this, I'll end up pleasing God. No, no. When you grasp what Jesus has done for you, then you want to serve Him. I owe this, um, I have to confess, I owe this to Simon Kennedy, who, uh, Simon, by the way, uh, email me if you want. He's got this great Spotify gospel tunes, 20 gospel tunes. I kind of said I wasn't really into Christian music, but he's converted me bit by bit. Um, and the first song, I was hooked on the first song, which is by uh, a couple called Mary Mary, um, and they've got a song called Shackles, which I absolutely love. Uh, I'm not going to sing it to you, but uh, the, the words are great. Take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. I just want to praise you. I just want to praise you. You broke the chains, now I can lift my hands, and I'm going to praise you. I actually think that gets, in a nutshell, what it is to praise God. Because God takes the shackles off our feet. He takes the shackles off our, off our hands so that we can praise Him. And how do we praise Him? Yeah, we use our, our voices in singing. But we use our hands in serving other people. We use our feet. Yes, we use our feet in dancing. Decently and in good order. But we also use our feet to go places. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, if you're a Christian, you've been resurrected out of death. You've been liberated from the power of sin. You've been rescued from the devil. You've been recreated with a new heart and a new desire. And yet, we still sit and we say, but Lord, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. You come this evening and share in communion and sit at the Lord's table, and I dare you, I dare you to even think or to suggest to God, Lord, it's not enough. What you did for me is not enough. It's enough. It's more than enough. It may be, though, that some of you are not Christians. You're not sure what a Christian is. You think, oh, I'm Christian because I was born in a Christian country. Christian grew up in a Christian home. Christian because I go to church. No, that's not enough. That's not what makes you a Christian. I just simply ask this. Do you want to be resurrected out of death, liberated from the power of sin, rescued from evil, recreated? You can't do it, and I can't do it, and it can't be done without Jesus Christ. And it really is as simple as that. You, you, you submit to Jesus Christ. You give your life to Jesus Christ. You confess to Jesus Christ. You determine to follow Jesus Christ. I've been wading my way through uh, Tolstoy's War and Peace. It's actually a great book once you get into it. It just takes a long, long time to get into it. But... Um, There's one of the characters in there that he he talks about rejoicing with a joy that he could not describe. 
It was more joy than when he got married. It was more joy than when he was saved from death on the battlefield. And Tolstoy describes it as he had come to know the God who gives that joy. You, if you are here and you're not a Christian, there is good news for you. Why do you think you are here? Jesus brought you here so that you could hear the good news. He didn't bring you here so you could become religious. He didn't bring you here so that you could get a row. He brought you here so that you could follow Him. And He, he literally is, is, is pleading with you. He's asking you, why won't you? I, I would that you have life. But you say no. Please don't say no to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, I finish with this. Again, back to Mr. Dillon. He says this, by His truth I can be upright. By His strength I do endure. By His power I've been lifted. In His love I am secure. He bought me with a price, freed me from the pit full of emptiness and wrath and the fire that burns in it. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. The final verse of that song says this, nobody to rescue me. Nobody would dare. I'm going down for the last time, but by His mercy I've been spared, not by works, but by faith in Him who called. For so long I've been hindered, for so long I've been stalled. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm so glad. Yes, I am so glad. I'm so glad, so glad. I just want to thank You, Lord. I just want to thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. You have that sense of thankfulness to Jesus, you've made it. You're there. You really have. You've understood what it is to be a Christian. Thank you, Lord. And if you don't have that thankfulness, then ask the Lord to come into your life and to help you. Let's pray. Lord, we are proud and arrogant people in so many ways. Even when we boast of our weakness, we do so with ourselves still at the center. But we bless you that it is by your grace we are saved. We bless you that it is as we have faith in you, not in ourselves, not in others, not in the religious, but just faith in Jesus that we are renewed. And we bless you, O oh Lord, that you do not renew us so that we can just indulge ourselves and feel good about ourselves, but you renew us and give us a purpose, which is to help, to help the poor, to help through the likes of Bethany and, and other things, to help the little children through the uh, Sunday school and we rascals and other things, to help our neighbors, to help those in the f different parts of the earth who do not have as much as we do, to help those who are lonely by offering hospitality to reach out to those who are hurt and wounded and despairing and angry and lost in their own sin because we ourselves, we know what it is like to be that. We know that we have been saved, not because of what we have done, but because of your grace and mercy. And we bless you, O Lord, that you've called us into this place to share your grace and mercy with so many others. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our self-obsession. Forgive us for the way that we just lap everything up and, 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 and focus it on ourselves. It's not about us. It is truly about you and your amazing grace. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would not go out of this building without having given their lives to you. And I pray, our God, that we would see many more, many hundreds, many thousands in this city and elsewhere coming to a living and saving faith.
in Jesus Christ. For we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.